0: Welcome back to the podcast, everybody. Well, I'm doing this podcast a few days late than I originally intended, so I know this might be a little bit dated here, but uh, here we go. Uh, first, I want to just start off by saying a few things. Uh, today, obviously, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, James White and, and John MacArthur and how those relate here in just a second. Um but I want to say that i'm I'm going to attempt to be as fair as I possibly can with a very, very hot topic, a very touchy subject uh, it it's It's a subject in theology that people have the most hardcore opinions about. So YouTube comment warriors and and people that say things like you know i i under one thing that i understand that you probably don't because people tend to only know one side of arguments and and they always argue for one side and and they've never even heard of the other legitimate positions that are out there and you know that just tells you a lot of uh, about their opinion anyway so Um, Yes, I I, I acknowledge that there is these things, and I understand these things um, to uh, the best of my ability, and I am still uh, searching out these things to understand them even better. So um, I, for the life of me, cannot understand post-millennialism or amillennialism. Uh, I'm millennial. I, they both have good points and good arguments, but I don't. I, I don't truly understand how somebody could come to that conclusion biblically. Um, like I said, I know I know the arguments, and I, I, that's what I've been. That's why this podcast is a little bit delayed because I wanted to make sure that um, you know I was I was up on my. <clears throat> eschatology is is to where their arguments are coming from and what they're saying and and make sure that uh you know i I represent that as as fair as possible with this podcast uh because it's you know there's almost no way that your your opinion doesn't come out in something like this but i'm telling everybody right now, my opinion here is from a biblical lens. So I, I pray that you would have uh, your opinions and, and your arguments through a biblical lens as well. And, and if you disagree, then, then fine. But these are some things that we need to, to talk about here because uh, James White, if you don't know who James White is, he is a very in the evangelical world. He is a very famous theologian. Um, he is a very, very smart man. Uh, he runs Alpha and Omega Ministries. Uh, he is partnered with uh, Apologia Church as well. Uh, I believe he's an elder with their church. I don't, I don't want to speak anymore on that. I don't, I don't remember his exact uh, relationship with them, but he, he has a, a affiliation with Apologia, which that's a whole nother topic, but um, James White is a very, very smart man. And honestly, I never saw myself doing a podcast where I would have to talk about something that James White said, because that just terrifies me because James is, like I said, he is brilliant. He is smarter and more articulated than I will ever be in my life. Um, I mean, he's got uh, got tons of degrees, and I mean, he's got the whole thing, the books behind him. And, you know, the thing about James is he's read every single one of those books, and he knows the content of every single one of those books. I mean, the man is brilliant. And he is an absolute brilliant debater. Uh, I mean, he just, everybody that I have seen him debate uh, except for maybe, you know, just a few minor topics. Um, he is just absolutely just, I mean, it's just no comparison. So that's just, uh, that's something that I never (laughs) wanted to jump in the waters and even try to, you know, raise a voice at, but just because of how smart he is, that does not mean he's right. And that does not mean that, that he, you know, he's any better at interpreting scripture than I am or anybody else is. And he would admit that. I, I think that he's, he's a very humble man. Um, and he did on this response here. Uh, he's responding to a comment that John MacArthur had made about a week ago uh, in one of his sermons where he was reflecting on the year of 2020. It was a great sermon. Um, and I completely agree with everything that MacArthur said um, not every little thing in the sermon but I mean in this, this clip here we're going to be, be talking about but um, James White comments on this because what the issue is here is John MacArthur called postmillennialism, which we're going to go into a little bit of definition here because James kind of lays it out and explains this um, but he called postmillennialism garbage, and he called it prosperity. Um, and, and James will make the point here, and uh, this is what I completely agree with him. I, I, I think this is, he, he didn't rebuke MacArthur for that. He didn't, um, you know, he didn't assume the worst with what MacArthur said, because uh, James has been, notoriously really kind of quiet on eschatology but you have, you know that he's very very reformed so this means that he leans more towards the covenant theology uh which which holds a completely different um you know set of of views than what macarthur would have on many different issues and he notoriously has kind of stayed away from it but he comments on this because of what MacArthur said, and he addresses it, and he, in so many words, states his position exactly where he was. I, I, I've seen people question, they say, "Well, I really don't know, James, what, where he stands, and that's true, you know, nobody's really, ha- he's never really come out and said anything, but with this video that we're going we're gonna to listen to, you can see that he clearly leans, if not definitely holds, to post-millennialism. So this is an automatic trigger for postmillennialists when whenever you, you know, say something like this. Um, you know, uh, this is a quick, quick defense. And, and his gripe here is that John doesn't um, represent post-millennialism correctly. And, and, you know, we'll play it. But the point of all that is James White was very fair very fair to MacArthur here. Okay. But uh, he also turned a corner in this, in this clip, um, that he just went around the, he just went down the same row. He's pot calling the kettle black here. And we need to, to talk about a few things. So without further ado, I'm going to go ahead and start the beginning of it here. And this is what MacArthur said. Uh, and this is the way that James starts off this little clip here. Guess what? We don't win down here. We lose. You ready for that? Oh, youth! Oh, you were a post-millennialist. You thought we we're just going to go waltzing into the kingdom as you took over the world. No, we lose here. Get it? They killed Jesus. It killed all the apostles. We're all going to be persecuted. If any man come after me, let him, what? And I himself. Garbage of prosperity gospel. No, we don't win down here. Are you ready for that? Just to clear the air, I love this clarity. We don't win. We lose on this battlefield, but we win on the big
1: one the eternal one. Okay. So there.
0: All right. So that was what John MacArthur said. So now James White's going to comment on this. And I'm going to say the first, the first minutes of this video, I completely agree with. So here we go. I'm going to go ahead and let James talk.
1: There's the section. So we lose down here. Uh, But we win on the big one. Now, There's a lot, so much that could be said. Um, Folks on Facebook and Twitter and websites. Remember when Dr. MacArthur made his comment about premillennialism and reformed theology back at the Shepherds Conference? When was that? That That was over a decade ago. Maybe 15 years ago now, wasn't it? And Sam Waldron, I think, wrote a book. And... Again, in in hindsight, it was useful because it made people think things through and that's the way it should be and that's appropriate. And I'm not saying that John shouldn't have the right to say, you know, now today, if anyone, if you disagree with somebody, you're saying they should be silenced. No, I'm not in any way, shape or form. Did you see, by the way, why I choose, and if I'm wrong, somebody, if John clarifies himself, And says, yes, I was equating post-millennialism with prosperity gospel, then let me know. But could you see why I sort of felt like the prosperity gospel thing was just sort of a throwaway statement that just popped into the mind. And it wasn't meant to be a rational continuation of what was being said before. Okay, maybe I'm just being, bending over to be.
0: I'll let you know. (laughs) No, uh, yes, I think he was uh, comparing postmillennialism to prosperity gospel, um, but not in the way that it's defined as, as we all think uh, of it, you, or as uh, is, is we evangelicals uh, normally think of prosperity gospel. You know, the Kenneth Koblenz, the Joel Steens, these things, you know, this is what we think of. No, not in that way. It's a different type of prosperity gospel. And it's. do I think the statement was a little bit harsh? Yes. Do I agree with his statement? Absolutely, 100%. And I think, Jesus that somebody finally said it because I have agreed with this for a long time. And I think it's, it's necessary to, to call these things out. Do I think it was harsh? And do I, yes. And, and did I say it? No. I didn't say it. I agree with it. John said it publicly, and he's got a you know, larger platform than I will ever have, and, and uh, you know, he doesn't care, and, and he stands firm in truth, and, and I stand right there with him. Um, but in the way of this theology, this post-millennial theology, yes, it, there, it is a, a, a form of prosperity gospel. Because we're saying that we already have all these blessings and Christ is currently reigning, um, in in the way of the millennium. And, and, and we're taking the, the literalism out of this. And we're saying that, you know, these things are already happening and we're putting all these things in the past. So we're saying that all these things are now and these represent, you know, times now and then moving forward. Well, adding anything to now, that's, that's, that's a form of prosperity. You're saying here in the now. So, again, that's right there. That's my opinion. I think that it could be argued um, by, you know, there is a legitimate post-millennial position that has wants nothing to do with the prosperity gospel. And wants nothing, and and they're completely outraged that it would even get compared to that. So uh, yeah, I think it was a reckless term to use. Only in the way, and, and and again, I'm not you know going back on what I said here. I think just thinking more through it, I think that the term was a little bit reckless for him to use because the we view prosperity gospel preachers as heretics, and and. You know, James White and and people of his, you know, the reform parties wouldn't want anything to do with that. So and and would deny that just as they do anti-Semitism. That's where that's another trigger word, which I guess we'll get into that later. Um, You know, they they will deny to the T that they are not anti-Semitic and they would they would be offended that you would suggest that. But again, it's anti-Semitism has many different forms. Um, it's, it's doesn't just have to be in the way that we know it. That means that you hate Jews and you want all of them to die. That's, that's not necessarily the case. I think stomping out their place in scripture and in in, 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 that is, 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 a form of that and in John MacArthur, um, kind of believes in that direction too. So, um, let me go ahead and let, let James continue on. But again, we can see that James was extremely fair. In his judgment with what he said, he said, I'm going to choose to believe that John's smarter than that, and that's not the case. And, you know, so that, that's definitely a fair shake. And I, I, I thank him as a brother in the Lord for that, for at least being fair um, a little bit. But we get into some problems here.
1: Too kind or something, but I don't think so. I want to believe that John MacArthur recognizes there's a difference between postmillennialism and the prosperity gospel. They're very, very, very different things. But do post-millennialists believe that you just go waltzing into the kingdom after you take over down here? Well, no.
0: Well, yes, because you currently believe that you're in the kingdom. This is kingdom now theology. That's post-millennial theology. So yes, you believe that you're in the kingdom now. You believe that you've just waltzed right into the kingdom and now that we're going to have this glorious age. So, yes, you do.
1: And I've been making the argument recently. I'm having to think all this stuff through. We live in days.
0: This is another thing that I really respect about James here. Because he just says he's not taking a full, because this is a little glimmer of hope. He says, I'm having to think through everything. And he goes on with some brilliant things here, and we need to listen.
1: That at least in our experience, no one has lived through before in the Western world. It's not that the rise of the Soviet Union was not an incredible evil. It was. Millions of people died. Millions of people under Mao. Millions of people now in communist China. But those were kept to a certain portion of the human family. This is looking like it's going to be the entire human family, globally. And now we have technocracy. Now we have technology. Our globe is surrounded by mechanical devices, electronic devices that can track us everywhere. We are facing new challenges. And while the Soviets and the Chinese last century were atheists, we now have a form of secularism that's even more virulent than existed back then.
0: Let me just point out that he's confirming dispensational premillennialism while he goes to. Yeah, we'll get on to it, but uh, I mean he's he's acknowledging all these things: technology, how the the rise of globalism, and these things. Um, And he's admitting that he's having to think through these things because, wow, this should make everybody look at their theology.
1: And so all of us are having to put our theology to the test. And that includes myself. And so I have described the strain and pressure of seeking to drive wisdom from scripture as people in scripture were persecuted for their beliefs and what it means to be faithful within the context of persecution. Combining that with the global context of secularism, which is not what the early church faced, the unbelief of the Roman Empire, pagan as it was, was not secular. Darwin kicked open a door that allows a new level of inhumanity on the part of man. Really does. So, I have described one decision that we have to make, that all of us have to make. I think most of us, no matter what our eschatological positions are, would recognize that we are called to be faithful in whatever moment God has placed us. And I'm I'm primarily talking about people who are reformed in their understanding that God actually places us in, God's actually accomplishing something in this world. If God has no decree, then who knows what in the world he's doing.
0: Here we go. Yeah, I agree with him. People of all different positions in times positions should acknowledge that God us God put us here to be faithful in whatever situation he put us in amen and to grow that amen i agree with you james but then he he proceeds to turn this corner of this is where you want to misrepresent premillennialism now there's there's plenty of different open doors for people to do so but not, not to say the things that he goes on to say here.
1: Maybe he's confused too if you're an open theist. But sound orthodox, reformed men of differing eschatological perspectives. There is plainly a divide. And that divide I have described as the difference between escapist and endurantist.
0: Okay. So mind you, he's going to he's going to proceed the rest of the time here to gripe about how postmillennialism wasn't fairly represented. Yet he's going to proceed to call John MacArthur's position and uh, the position that I hold dispensational premillennialism as escapism theology. And this is the this is the first accusation that comes to the mouth of somebody that begins to represent this and i i will i mean this is i will try to point out as fairly as i can the the absurdity of these these things that he's saying
1: escapist and endurantist we are either going to escape from this tribulation Or we are going to endure and there is going to be on the other side a restoration, a rebuilding that is not a part of the escapist idea where there's not going to be any of that. And so the point is,
0: yeah, no, because that's not something that we can do, but going on to what he says about the, the escapist but who you you completely misrepresent this view nobody says that we're not going to have tribulation i don't know one christian one premillennialist i'm sure they exist out there i'm sure there's crazy ones i'm sure that um you know people could probably point to me at least 20 different examples of it that that want to put their their white you know, robes on, and they want to go sit on their roof and, and, and are just looking for Jesus, saying, We don't have to do anything. I'm sure it exists, but that's not the position. Nobody really thinks that. No, there's, that's not a legitimate thought. Jesus and the Gospels, they tell us that we will, I mean, literally the world will hate us and we will suffer persecution and tribulation all the way through up until we, what you call escape. So we are consistently prepared for persecution and tribulation and living in light of that because we don't know when Christ returns for us to gather us. Again, this is a a completely different idea to a post-millennialist like James White. But absolutely not. We've got a job to do until Christ returns. So how is that any different than than what a, a postmillennialist would believe with, with the point that he's trying to make here? He's trying to say that the escapist doesn't teach that. The endurance, the, the the postmillennial view, this does. I'll let him finish.
1: If you're on the escapist side, you are not thinking about how do you communicate the faith through the period of darkness that eventually leads to a period of great light.
0: Okay. Says who? Says who? You? We have a job to do. And that job is to spread the good news of Jesus Christ until he returns, no matter what. You will suffer tribulation. We will be put in prison. We will be martyred. Who says that we're not thinking of this? This is absurd.
1: You're just, going, like, it's getting darker, 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 boom. That's it. Don't have to worry about the transmission of the faith. The preparation of the next generations to endure. Don't have to worry about any of that. Because you interpret tribulation to be something other than something that was fulfilled a long time ago
0: there we go there comes the partial preterism of a postmillennialist which says that all of these prophetic events that Jesus this basically this view says it takes all of the canon of scripture and says it was completed by 70 AD so Everything that Jesus is speaking about, other than his second coming, that will be, will be a literal coming, but not until the end of time. And that could be forever. James kind of loosely explains it a little bit here. But they take all of Scripture and say it was uh, the rest of it, and say that the, the the tribulation and all of these things, this was all to the Jews, and it was fulfilled with 70 A.D. So he's saying that that's, that's tribulation other than something there. Okay, so what about the other side that says we're not preparing believers or even people who will be alive during the tribulation and, and informing the world that this insane tribulation is coming that the world has never seen before? Certainly, completely different than what happened in seventy A.D. We, that definitely wasn't tribulation worse than the world has ever seen before. I mean, remember Titus wrote in, and he he didn't even want to burn down the temple. Like he, I mean, he ransacked it, of course, but like he thought it was beautiful. He didn't want to. He didn't want to burn it down. I'm sorry, like these things, and he did, but and it was Jerusalem was destroyed, but. It, This is, that's clearly not describing a period that is worse than any other period of history. But in this preterist view, in this post-millennial view, which it's just, it's simply not biblical. You you have got, you you say that Revelation was written before 70 AD, and 70 AD was the ultimate fulfillment. So what we're reading in, in scripture is a full history book with a promise at the end. But it represents and says that we have currently, which we do, but they say in a literal sense, we have eternal life. So now we're, we're living in, this is what Jesus was talking about when we have eternal life. So that includes this point here, which, I mean, there's, there's truth to that, but e- eternal life in the, The eternal state is is what we're referring to. But, I mean, this is is synonymous with this. And I don't want to... Not only does... I mean, whether you want to argue church history, um, you know, the dating of Revelation, whatever, what the root of all of this comes down to as well, one of the main umbrellas of this is replacement theology. And that's something that James White and, and his whole crew, Reformed people, that's, that's the dominant view is sessionism or supersessionism replacement theology that says that the, the church has succeeded Israel in all the promises. So it, the, the church is the ultimate fulfillment of these things. They don't see a distinction here. So they say that the church is Israel; it's the fulfillment of all the Old Testament promises. That's unbiblical. I mean, that's just it, it, it's it's not biblical. They they have a, a an argument for it, but it it's it's based off of one verse, the Israel of God, and a couple of flawed ideas. So I I think it's more dangerous. To, to say that these events aren't coming than to say that they did happen a long time ago. While you're, you're, you're represent you're misrepresenting us and saying that we don't want to prepare the next generation for what's going to be down the road says who I'm preparing my kids currently for this. I prepare my church for this. This is one thing that I teach at my church every single week. If I mention these things, I say, I don't know how long, who knows? I don't get hung up on the word soon like post-millennialists do and, and think that it must apply to the first century that Jesus is absolutely talking about the fulfillment of 70 AD in this. Post-millennialism sounds great in an argument it looks great on paper. It, it's very easy to see these things. But it's it's a straw man argument. I mean, once you... It, it's a house of cards. and I mean, once you even get close to it, it collapses. I mean, it does. It sounds good. And it, it does fit very, very good in with... A lot of the events, a lot of the way that things played out, and, and their whole, you know, it, it, like I said, it does. But come on, don't, you know, that, 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 again, this is just something that's absurd. And this is something that postmillennialists tend to do. They want to say that we, misinterpret things and rep, you know they we misrepresent them but then you're misrepresenting us okay we're not misrepresenting you by saying that you believe that the kingdom is now well you know that, that that's something that you 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 affirm that's something that dispensationalists like myself don't agree with I mean, the kingdom is Christ, amen. And absolutely, there is a, there, there is, he is, he is currently ruling and reigning uh, in heaven, but th- this is not what we're, sh- w- this is not a, the, the, the throne of David is not something that's in heaven. This is a literal throne on earth. So now I'm getting a little too off focus here, but go back to James White. He's on this, he, he just made the comment here about interpreting Revelation. Other than something that happened in 7080. Which again, it's just, it's it's a silly argument. I really don't understand how smart people like believe this. And I don't understand. There's there's even a couple comments on this video. The more and more that I read post-millennial theology, the more and more it just affirms it. I, how? Nonetheless, let, let's continue on.
1: So that's the escapist view. Now, amillennialists can fall on either side because you've heard the terminology of optimistic amillennialism and pessimistic amillennialism. So a pessimistic amillennialist might go, man, this is it's about to be wrapped up. I mean, you look at all the thing that man, man's doing. We've got nuclear weapons, and we're playing with genetics now. And, I mean, we're, we're literally standing on the doorstep of I Am Legend together with Space Odyssey 2000 and a whole bunch of other ones all thrown into the mix. And let's just stir it all up and see what blows out of this. Uh, so it's real easy to be sitting there going, yeah, this, I can't see how we can ever get out of this mess. So there you go. That's the pessimistic side. The optimistic a millennialist uh, says, hey, it's been dark at times in the past too. What about post-millennialists? Well, if you read meaningful post-millennial literature, you come to the recognition that post-millennialists recognize that God raises up kingdoms and takes kingdoms down. God is still doing the work of demonstrating his character through the judgment of the nations. As I understand it, the postmillennial commitment fundamentally is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. God in
0: So he says as he understands it. So he's he's not fully affirming the postmillennial view, but he's misrepresenting premillennialism and millennialism there. Because I, I don't think that that. I don't think that 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 explanation of pessimistic millennialism is fair to them. Um again, millennialism is is something that is to me there's it, it, it's very similar in some ways to um premillennialism. I think there's a lot of there's a lot of agreements there, um, but then it just gets silly. It just gets ridiculous. Like believing that the thousand-year reign is, is something that you, when you die and go to heaven, you know, the, the Christ is rolling in the millennium there, I mean, that's just, that's ridiculous. I mean, that's just, you know, something that, that post-millennialists and all millennialists want to do is they want to take the text and they want to read it and they want to go, it can't possibly mean that, it's got to mean something else and and they just because you can't reconcile it doesn't mean that it it, it's got to have some spiritual meaning um you know i understand for reform you know because i i lean to understanding the reform side more than anything and you know i think there's a lot of good my my family is is you know uh, my older brother is is very very reformed and even my associate pastor, I mean, he's uh, he's he's he leans, you know, he wouldn't describe himself as reformed, I don't think, but he definitely is, is got his feet in the water on that. Um, but it, it, it's something that reforms men have a real hard time with, or I, I shouldn't say just reform men, but there are people that, that hold reform theology. They they have a real hard time reconciling a lot of these things, but I mean these things are are very very they they explain themselves with scripture. We don't have to do any backflips to ex- explain them. Uh, we admit that yeah you know I mean Revelation is a a, a you know eye opening, um, and I think Revelation twenty is definitely one of those chapters that is just um, you know most people just don't know what to do with. And that's—I uh, mean, you know—we don't get our theology off of just one chapter, uh, like he he goes on to accuse here. But you know, we we see in that chapter there's things specifically there that we we have a hard time with that that uh, Reformed people have a hard time with because we see things like you know Christ ruling, Satan being bound, and and these things, and they okay, well, how can How can these things happen and they can't reconcile? So this has got to be something that uh, was happened a long time ago. Uh, It's currently happening. He's currently bound and restrained and and all these things. So uh, uh, let me, let me continue on here with James.
1: In fulfilling the promise of Psalm 1 and two is putting under the feet of Jesus, all his enemies and the last enemy is death. God has started doing that. God started doing that as soon as Jesus rose from the dead. He's been continuing to do that ever since then. But it's not a straight line. It seems to me that Dr. MacArthur has the idea it's a straight line and it's just straight up to heaven. That's not how it's ever been. And when I think of someone like a Rush he knows church history. And what's attractive to me about this is I know church history.
0: Okay. So he says that it's, he's speaking of the post argument stems from 1 Corinthians 15, Psalm one ten one, and 2. And then goes on to state that it's, it's not a straight line. These, these enemies are still being put under his feet. Where premillennialism interprets that is he puts his enemies under his feet. We, that, that happens during the millennial reign of Christ that all of these things are fulfilled. And to say that he, his enemies aren't completely under his feet currently, it's, I, I think, is something that's ridiculous because he is victorious. He, 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 al- you know, he has already conquered these things so i mean that's where i i have an issue big time with with that part of it um you know it's 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 not a people would say that that's a, a contradiction to saying well are you saying it's fulfilled or not no that's not a contradiction at all that's just like saying that you know absolutely christ is going to return but he's not here now the king you know the the, the kingdom is not here and now but then again that's where we we differ but psalm 110 one, is is their famous go to for this for this viewpoint. And it's the the putting sit at my right hand until they put all of, make all of your enemies a footstool. So they like to take that verse and interpret this as something that applies to revelation. Okay. But you know, the, and then he goes on to say which he's very again. I, I've said nothing but but nice things in in the way of being you know personal about him uh, because he's very very smart and he does know church history very very well. But what he's doing is he's choosing to take a lot of very key important people and leaders in church history that were very, very millennial very, very millennial minded and the evidence is there that these teachings snuck in I mean this has been something that even the apostles were dealing with but these teachings snuck in from among us, destructive heresies. Not saying that postmillennialism is a, a destructive heresy, but these things snuck in, and these things came in, and these things brought these understanding. I mean, this is this is very clear. I mean, this is exactly, um, you know, you're you're discarding the words of Irenaeus, and and they roll their eyes whenever you say that. Um, some of them even use Irenaeus, and they say that it's that premillennialists misrepresent Irenaeus. Um, but again, that's not, you know, he knows that that's not true and he knows that there is a, a strong legitimate case for this. And for some reason he chooses not to believe that clearly. And I mean, if you, if you, you know, even you know, held any weight to it or any respect to that, you would know that that's different. Um, again, I, I understand and hold weight and respect to his arguments cause I know where they come from. But, the, the, I mean, anybody that the, the, the can go and, and look at these things, um, again, I mean, I, I can't tell people what to believe or, look, or or whatever, and people will always have their opinions, but it, it's, it's not as obscure as he makes it out to be. And he says that uh, it's, it's never been this line in church history. And, again, here we go to putting all of our focus on... The reformers and in, in thinking that they were God's, you know, continued apostles, uh, that they were to teach us everything that we know, and they got everything right. So let me let me continue on here. Never got anything wrong. Rather, I had to correct that real quick. I'll continue. Let James talk.
1: And one of the most important things for me right now is I just know that there are. There have been so many times in the history of the church that if I had lived at that time, I would have been tempted to have a wrong view of the future, judging on what was happening in my day. You cannot determine your eschatology this way, but we all do it that way. Whether we want to admit it or not, we are tempted to do it that way, and we cannot completely avoid doing it that way. Because we're trying to look past this next thing called the next second. And we can't do it. And so I look at church history. And I see ups and downs. I see dark, dark periods and then periods of great blessing. And it's not a line like this. It's an up and down type thing. But I see Christ's enemies being put under his feet. And it seems from this perspective... That if Christ's enemies are going to be put under His feet, it's just simply going to be at the big smackdown at Armageddon. That's when the enemies are put under His feet. But
0: seems to you you're wrong, because that's that's not the case. Like I just said, and I, I just argued for that. No, I mean I would I would argue to say that he has he has conquered. Um, I, I believe that, that, that he has, and I believe that he is at the right hand of the Father ruling and, and reigning, in a sense. But it, it's not ruling and reigning in a literal form. You can't take the literal kingdom out of it. And that's what replacement theology and reform theology does, is it takes the literal interpretation of Scripture that you would come to and removes it and and, and says that these promises that were to the nation of Israel are fulfilled in the church and everything was closed by 70. They lost their opportunity. Uh, they can still come to Christ, but the church has now, again, these, these covenants has, ha, have just, they haven't been canceled, but they've been fulfilled in the church and he is currently doing these things. Okay. And what he says is correct. There is plenty of times in her, in church history where they thought, well, crud, this is the end. We could, see many times throughout the history that they swore the rapture, uh, you know, and the antichrist and all these different things were happening. And we see tons of false, um, you know, uh, you know, religions even rising up from these teachings. So yes, he's, he's correct about that because there, there, there have been, and, and yes, there's a, there's a good sense in saying that, uh, you know looking and having newspaper eschatology is, is is could is damaging, yes, absolutely. But again, what just makes this seem contradictory to me to me with what he's saying here is going back to where he just said that we're seeing things that have been global. These things weren't isolated like they were in the early church. So how can you say that it's it's global these things aren't just isolated it appears to be going this way but then come back here and say well you know it's you know we always we always thought that in every generation it was like this and you know no and part of the premillennial dispensational argument is that technology in this global problem would be the ushering of these times So, this is, to us, is absolutely exactly what we see in Scripture playing out. Again, this period of time, how long ever it may be, I don't know. I interpret when Jesus says the word soon, this means that once the first prophetic event happens, one happens right after the other. And revelation is laid out like that. And soon, in a sense that, yes, this is the last advent of human history, in this sense, before the, the kingdom. So, let me, we'll continue on.
1: Most of his enemies are not nations or tanks or things like that. They're systems of thought. And do you really subjugate a system of thought by just simply wiping out everybody who holds it? Or do you put those enemies under the feet through the defeat of that system? What if we're going into a really dark period that may last for generations?
0: I think scripture is clear in saying that all of this gets wiped out because, you know, like Paul says, on account of these things, God's judgment is coming. I, 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 it's just how I see it. But I mean, maybe I'm missing something, James.
1: What if we're going in a really dark period? There's no one alive today that will actually see the end of this dark period. Oof.
0: I agree with you. That could very well be. Oof. Oof. Of course. Absolutely. We are going into a dark period.
1: That's hard to even think about. But what if we are? Does any of that change the truthfulness of the Christian faith? For a lot of people, it it does. And that's somewhat of a problem.
0: Who? I, I, I don't know who yet.
1: My commitment... Is that I want to do everything I can. And we may have to do it secretly. We may have to do it underground. We have to do it through the church. We have to do it through teaching our children and our grandchildren. But I want to communicate the truth that Jesus Christ is Lord. And what?
0: Amen. A hundred percent agree with you. We are in a hundred percent agreement. We might have to do it underground. We might have to do it this way. Absolutely.
1: But that means in all of its glory and the fact that mankind and all of his wisdom dig as deep as you want. All you're going to find is the more you learn about how we exist, what the universe is around us, it's all going to end up reflecting the glory of Jesus. He's the creator. He's behind it all. How do I communicate that? How do I pass that down? So they can look back and go, there were those that God used to safeguard, to safeguard the faith. That once for all delivered to the saints faith. Now, God's going to do it. I want to be in on it. I want to be in on it. I want to endure. And so it does have an impact as to how you're going to respond to the coming global socialist totalitarianism. If you're just waiting for your ticket out, that's going to have some impact on what you're going to be doing between now and whenever the jackbooted thugs show up to drag you off, right?
0: Um, this is a, your ticket out. Yep, it's what we're doing. We are just waiting for this stuff to just just go down, and we, we should absolutely do nothing. No premillennialist believes that. Nobody does. No. Matter of fact, we see as things get darker, the more faithful that we need to be, the more important that, that, that sound biblical doctrine is in, in, in teaching that, especially with our children. And raising those up in that because this period is going to get dark. It's going to get bad. Because that's where this misconception is with post-millennialism is they think that this is just escape. No, because we don't have any gauge as to how bad it actually gets. We believe that this is tribulation as the world has never seen before. Worse than the days of Noah when we have a global flood. And this is what's really inconsistent about your interpretation of scripture is that you want to say that these, these events were very, very localized in 70 D, but then you affirm a, a, a worldwide global flood, but it's going to be worse than that. And, and they even have their arguments there, but again, that's a different podcast but you want to say that, that what happened then was that point. Okay, well, there's no distinction. We have no promise, no blessing that, that we are ever, this is going to get accepted. That's where you call this pessimistic and you're optimistic. You're optimistic that this gets accepted. I think that's where I would, I would hope and pray along with you that that's the case. I would love to see that. I would love to, I mean, we, we probably would never see it in our lifetime. It would take a hundred lifetimes for the world to, to get back to this. I would love to see that. As a pre-millennialist, I would, I would, uh, that's what I would love to see. So this is where I can agree with you, but that's not what scripture says. It doesn't change how we view these things or how we look at these things. It doesn't change these things at all. Because we are consistently supposed to be ready and consistently supposed to be living our lives for the Lord. I mean, there, there's, there's, no, there's no change in there. So you're completely mi- misrepresenting people. You know, yes, there's, there's wackos out there that, that believe some of these things. But this, isn't the, this certainly isn't the John MacArthur type of dispensationalism or, or premillennialism. I mean, it's kind of, it's hand in hand, but it certainly isn't that. This isn't your, um, you know, your, I can't even think of, of, you know, you're left behind where, you know, this is the this is what these these reformed guys with their beards and their books and their cigars and their beers. what this is what they always want to go and, and, and go to and, and say and say these just left behind, you know, your clothes and you're just going to poof out of here. His buddy Jeff Durbin, you know, c- consistently makes fun of this. Hey, like what? I mean, where do you get this? Where do you get this premise from? From insane YouTube preachers? I mean, maybe. I, I, I've seen it. But that's not truly, i that's not what I teach. That's nowhere near anything that I would teach. Nor does that what scripture says. So the only thing that we disagree in here is the end result here on earth. But how does that affect how we work together? It doesn't. So these are ridiculous accusations. Let me let him finish this out.
1: I wanna be very, very actively involved in communicating the faith and in challenging the darkness, being light in the darkness. If the darkness wins, well, but in the end, okay. If it's just at the end, then why have we been going through all this stuff for 2000 years?
0: All right, I keep stopping this. So forgive me, everybody. I know that I've said that I've let him finish it out four times, and I keep stopping it. The full link to an uninterrupted version of it, which most of you will be interested in, will be posted along with this. So you can listen to it there without my interruption. So forgive me for for saying I was going to play longer segments of it and stopping it. Um, You know, I do have on my notes here moments that I wanted to stop. Uh, but I know that I've stopped a little bit too much. So I was trying to, to establish which, which of those that I'm going to do and which ones that I'm not. But I, I, I have to address this. this. He goes back to a dumb elementary argument. Well, things are, have always been this bad. It's always... Uh, come on, dude. You can't say these things underhandedly and then just and then you just affirmed at the beginning the rise of this global enemy, you know, these different things that that we're seeing. That's extremely inconsistent. So it's like you almost like your heart like this is where I believe he's torn. And and I'm praying for him that God would open his eyes to whatever whatever he would have him him need to be at. I mean, I don't, this isn't, you know, I'm not tearing James down. I'm terrified to do that. Um, but like I said, I mean that, that just because of his, his experience, his degrees, his books, his, his cool white goatee and his bald head, this, I mean, this has, doesn't make him right. Um, because he has a cool fancy computer and, and all these things. I mean, this isn't, it doesn't make it more valid. Um, then, then scripture, his opinion doesn't matter. That does not mean that he can't be wrong. And again, uh, I know that James is humble enough to admit something like that. But you, you're, you're going back and just making a really, really dumb statement with this stuff. So let me, let me continue on.
1: I'm glad that Christ is still gathering his elect.
0: Amen, so am I.
1: And I think about those passages in scripture, it says the elect will be as the sand of the sea. Think about
0: it, that comment right there. And, and this is why he, he shut, he gives out hints that he puts in his position because that sand of the seashore comment right there is a post-millennial argument. That's a famous post-millennial argument. They say that the, that it's going to be as many as the sand of the sea. They say surely eight billion people is not as many sand granules. That's I, I mean, there's more than eight billion you know sand granules in, you know in a very small chunk of 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 dirt, and uh, they 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 say that, that surely that can't be it. But again, this is their their kingdom now, and they're, they're saying that this is now, and and failing to realize that. You know, this, this thousand years, the thousand-year reign, Revelation 20, this literal thousand-year reign of Christ, this is a time of prosperity. This is a time of, of growth and, and populating the kingdom. There's humans that will populate the kingdom. I mean, we have small numbers. It's a rough estimate that a, a population of only 100 people could populate the world to 4.8 billion in a thousand years. That's only a hundred people. Okay. And we know in revelation that we know those coming out of the tribulation. It's so many to be numbered. So, I mean, this is, I mean, you know, let's just say that a couple billion people come out of the tribulation period. One or two billion come out of the tribulation period. Two billion. Billion people in a thousand years. You know, let's say that you know uh, uh, half, a, even half a billion of those are women that could that could bear children. And mind you, their children' life expectancy will be lengthened. So the estimate of a hundred people in a thousand years—that's counting for mortality rate. But we're counting for—I mean, we're talking about people having kids all the way up. You know. We, to the the very end presumably so we're talking in numbers that i mean realistically it's been estimated that earth can sustain anywhere between and safely sustain as a population between 32 billion and and these numbers are wild okay i'm forewarning you 32 billion and 1024 billion so in, somewhere in that neighborhood, which uh, one study says a uh, thousand twenty four, which that that's insane, but uh, you know anywhere between thirty two billion, which the the current Earth population right now is eight billion people, roughly. You know what I mean? Two thousand years ago, it was a hundred million, roughly. So in in 2,000 years, we've made it up to 8 billion. Imagine going into a prosperous... I mean, this, there's your sand of the seashore right there. That's a the millennial kingdom. I mean, a, a, along with what, whatever comes out of the church age. I mean, already, I mean, this is you know, if you're thinking in, in the first century, when the, when the author, when John's writing this, he's, he's thinking of a, and he wasn't even the, the, the whole world population wasn't known to him, but if we can roughly estimate it, there was somewhere around a hundred million that, uh, you know, and again, that's, again, that hundred million number is a, the, 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 estimates for this number are wild. Okay. Cause we, we simply don't know, but let's roughly in the, in the best estimate around a hundred million. So eight, you know, a few billion people compared to eight like that. I mean, just seeing 2 billion people. That's insane. I mean, that it wouldn't end. It's, it's far from your viewpoint, and I mean that could be that number could be a lot more. I mean, I mean we don't we don't know. But that's just one of those little common arguments there, where he kind of states his position on this. Which, okay, if you want to use that verse as saying that. The earth is going to last for thousands and thousands, you know, tens of thousands of years before Christ's return. I don't think that it, that's where I think that, that closer look at things like this. This just is a house of cards. But I mean, that's that's where my, you know, my opinion on little things like that come in. But um, I mean, that's just a ridiculous argument. So continuing.
1: Think about it. So I just want to respond. That's not not an accurate representation of post-millennialism, first of all. And secondly, giving your life for the gospel is not losing. It's winning. And it's winning down here. So I know what he was talking about. But I don't think that's the biblical way of looking at it. I really don't. And so your eschatology does have an impact.
0: No. We we do lose down here. I mean, you you just affirmed tribulation and dark periods. That's not winning. You're just saying that there's a a glorious um you know that there's there's light at the end of the tunnel for us here on earth and that that's just base off of, of putting all of these things that Jesus said in, the, in, in, in 70 AD as, as far as, as blessings. And this is exactly MacArthur's point where it's, he says that this is prosperity and this is garbage. Because you're saying that there is prosperity at the end of this tunnel. We have got to set our focus on this earth and the things of this world and, and, and somehow those are going to I- improve in this, in this glorious age that's just going to come about. Well, I mean, yes, but Christ is going to bring that. that that's not something that we win this victory here. I mean, we can win multiple. I mean, there's, you know, there's no limit to how many souls that we can win up until this point. So, yeah, there's victory in that. And MacArthur would affirm that. But there, we do lose down here. And no, this isn't the kingdom. And no, we don't waltz into blessings because of what you just said. Because we're, not, we're, we're going to go into these dark periods. And Scripture promises us that we will have tribulation. They hated me. They'll hate you too. I, no premillennialist that I know thinks that I, that ever stops. And no pre-millennialist I know thinks that this is where, you know, we, we just give up the fight. That, I mean, that's, again, these are absurd accusations.
1: On how you're going to interpret these things, how you're going to understand these things?
0: Well, that was quite um, uneventfully the end of the clip but your eschatology does matter and it does change the way that you look at these things. And this is something that I always try to, to communicate because I think that there's, I think that there's empty pursuits that Christians can get caught up in, in this world that, that, that hold to this and to, to holding that, you think that you're you're in the kingdom now, and that He's reigning the the from the Davidic throne currently, is is just compl- you're I mean, you're completely ignoring. I mean, all of the Old Testament prophets and, and promises to the nation of Israel that were to be fulfilled and are going to be fulfilled. You have to just trash those. And if that's what you want to do, then, then so be it. But don't, I don't think that this is a, a proper, uh, even a judgment of, of premillennialism either. And, and to say that you're, you're going to, you, he didn't represent that correctly. And then you proceed to do the same thing. I mean, this is something that we, um, as Christians really shouldn't, You should try to avoid. I mean, I know it's, it's hard when we don't intend to do these things. And I don't, I don't believe that James uh, intentionally did this, but this is where the reformed crew does have tendency to, you know, they, they just pass everything off. I mean, it's you can go on Apologia's uh, church's website now and, and watch any Jeff Durbin video that's out there, and he makes fun of premillennialists consistently, and he consistently misrepresents the viewpoint. He he doesn't give it one slight bit of a fair shake. I mean, there's nothing at all. I, I think that that's, that's just absurd. I mean, I think I agree with more things that, that James said than, than disagree in, in the way of what our duty is here and things that we have to look forward to and things that we have to do. And so does MacArthur. There's, uh, there's no way that John believes that you're going to lay down and not do anything. I mean, he's one of the most active busy men on the planet, Um, you know, I mean, he's the one that's been preparing to go and start a prison ministry throughout this whole COVID deal. He's like, I'm not going to stop preaching. What? Because just because things are getting, you know, whatever, perceivably bad and all the, I'm not going to stop doing what I'm doing. If I have to do it from prison, I'll start a prison ministry. So this is clearly not what MacArthur is saying and to represent it as such and keep referring to it as escapist is that's not representing it correctly we escape the tribulation that the world has never seen before in in the ways of of just god's cataclysmic wrath being poured out on all mankind um you know all all the worst parts of, of revelation from revelation 4 to 19 I mean, you know, you're absolutely spared from that, but that doesn't spare you from from being persecuted. That doesn't get, that doesn't put a date on when these things happen. That doesn't mean we go on our roofs and wait for Jesus. Absolutely not. No, nobody thinks that. So that is my comments on on both of those. I again, I, I very much appreciate James. I do. Um, I, but I think it's time that we start, and I think that I, I stand firm with MacArthur on this. This is this is you know garbage. Um, replacement theology is simply not biblical. Uh, not not only you know we you can sit and and argue these these points that you're trying to apply these things to different events here, but at the root of this is replacement theology, which doesn't hold any weight whatsoever and this is what gets left out a lot of these arguments and replacement theology is a false teaching it's a dangerous false teaching and and this is something that all of 99.8 percent of reformed theologians hold to replacement theology saying that the church is the continuation of the promises to Israel. And it's, it's simply just a false teaching and it's, it's dangerous and it's time to call these things out. And, um, you know, I mean, you, you can't get kingdom now and, and all of these things and these, this Christ currently raiding on, on the throne of David, you can't get all of that stuff without replacement theology. And so that's what makes this version of this prosperity and, and garbage, and it does. Um, not to say that there isn't a biblical position that they try to make for it, but you, you're, you're pointing you, you can't other than other than going to church fathers, different opinions. you you can't make a legitimate case out of Scripture out of it is to where uh, a clear and plain read of Scripture will lead you to premillennialism every single time. And that's a controversial statement. But, I mean, it is what it is. It's not, I mean, even if you don't believe in a rapture, Christ's millennial reign on earth is is specifically laid out in specific detail in Revelation 20 and all through Isaiah. Isaiah chapters 2 through 35. It's literally the Lord's future reign. And even more, and there's even more in Isaiah. But we have this in in all the Old Testament prophets sum this all up in in this. So I mean, denying the I, we 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 can't deny these things, and denying these things is false. Um, am I going to put a false teacher label on on James? Why? Absolutely not. I would not dare. But absolutely, this is a false teaching, and he and he is, um, you know, I, I believe he believes what he believes because he's very smart. Um, but he he is teaching a false teaching. So um, I don't, you know, there's. Whatever that 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 means to whoever the, is listening, at this point, you can you can take that to mean what, whatever you think it it does. I'm not condemning him. I'm not calling him a false teacher. I'm not presuming anything like that. I'm just saying straight up what it is. And uh, again, I stand with MacArthur on his comments uh, to where I I normally when it comes to premillennialism or especially dispensationalism. Uh, I, I kind of differ from MacArthur in many different ways. Uh, but, um, you know, in general, he's known as a leaky dispensationalist and premillennialist. And in general, I agree with most of the things that he says. And definitely in this, I agree with him. So thanks for listening. And we'll see you guys next time. I'm sure I'm going to have to uh, revisit this issue again. So talk to you then.